I've just got to be, I've got to be good with what I'm putting forth and recommending. My name is Meryl Dubro, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend, Kelly Haitley, who's the founder of Haitley Custom Research. Kelly, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you, Meryl. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we are really, really ecstatic to have you here. Um, hey, Kelly, why don't you start for all the listeners? Just tell me about, tell us about your career in the insights industry. Sure, no problem. So I started off working for a mystery shopping provider here in Dallas, and I did that for about eight years, and we would do some customer satisfaction tracking, and I really enjoyed that, but it wasn't as expansive into marketing research as I wanted. So I found the MSMR program, Master of Science in Marketing Research at UTA here, University of Texas at Arlington, and I completed that program and that really kind of expanded my world into marketing research into all the larger realm. And then um, I joined Mark Research, your your wonderful company um, back in 2002. And I actually did my internship there and then ended up working there for over five years and, and obviously very rewarding there. I got a lot of quantitative research experience and then pretty quickly moved into qualitative. I knew that was a knack of mine uh, pretty early on, and I joined the qualitative team there at Mark, which Meryl, I believe you built <laughs> built up in my time there. I did. Yeah, you're right. They didn't have qualitative before I got there. That's funny. That's yeah. right. It was pretty quiet, pretty small department. And then, you know, the, I joined that department and we did so much qualitative. It was wonderful. And then I decided to go out on my own in 07. And here I am. That's great. So there's so many follow-up questions that I want to ask you, but let's start with this. Let's take me, I'm going to take you back to the MSMR program at UTA, which is a great, phenomenal program. What is some of the, what is one of the, one or two of the key takeaways from there that really helped and propelled your career? Yeah. You know, that program is, is rigorous and it covers a little more quantitative than qualitative. However, I would say that having that combination of both sides of research at the time. And the uh, even though the professors, of course, are in an academic world, they, they did a great job of bringing in outside real world projects. We had a lot of you know, pro bono projects that we did as students where we were getting out there in the field, doing interviews, asking questions, running surveys. I mean, we really got in there and did real projects that <laughs> clients would pay probably thousands of dollars for and that we were doing for a grade. So that was great, great hands-on learning from that program. That's great. It's 2007, you leave Mark Research, and it was a sad day. I think the flag was at half-mask, as I recall that day. But you leave Mark Research, and it's 2007, and you start your own shop, which is amazing, right? But then a year later, 2008, the economy kind of, um, let's just say, if for anybody who was sleeping, is a mess. I mean, it really plummeted. How did you navigate through that? How hard was that? Well, I would say that the hardest part was it was hard to leave Mark. It was truly a lifestyle decision. My kids were young and just a a decision we made at the time. And when 2008 rolled around, I was kind of just ramping up my business. So I'm not going to say that I didn't notice the economy, but it was 
a good workflow for me at the time, if that makes sense. But definitely the hardest part was leaving my support group around me, my kind of knowledge, networking. You know, if I needed something, it was right there. You know, Mark Research had all the different departments and areas of specialty. So going out on my own was definitely going out on an island by myself. <laughs> it was a time when the economy hit. It was a time when I was just sort of ramping up my business and keeping it at a moderate level anyway. I felt like the business I got, some of some of the clients were budget conscious and I was able to accommodate that at the time. It, you know, it worked out. And I think my network came from on an island, uh, was quickly remedied by joining QRCA. So the Qualitative Research Consultants Association really helped me build up my network of friends around me and support and colleagues and that type of thing. A lot of takeaways there. But let me ask you this. I, I really like the listeners to have some takeaways and to have some best practices. So so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners that are you know, going to go on their own based on because their career might be in transition with the pandemic, which we'll get to in a few minutes, or they just may have a desire to go on their own, right? So any advice that you could give, maybe one or two pieces of advice, Kelly's hottest tips, whatever we want to call it, on starting your own business in the qualitative industry that really could help them? Quite a few colleagues over the years have decided to go on their own. And usually it's it's for the same reasons I did, a lifestyle decision, perhaps they want to, you know, not commute or not do this or, or whatever. And I've, I've talked to a lot of them about it. And they're just as scared as I was at the time when I, when I left a great company and great job and went on my own. But I would say the key takeaways are first off, I think when, when someone goes on their own, they tend to underestimate how well connected they are. So they, they maybe underestimate their own worth. They think they're going to be out there and not get any business and not know anyone when the truth is they probably are very well connected and they should reach out to those connections right away. Don't be afraid to join associations and attend conferences and do things. Even if these things are an expense to your business, well worth it because you'll find that you are uh, well connected unless you've burned a bunch of bridges and you're not likable. people will come back to you and they will do business with you. Just keep the connections alive, I think is the, the biggest advice. I've always admired you for a lot of reasons. And I love your honesty and your purity of what comes with that. And I love how you framed it. Listen, you know, you said you were scared. What scared you the most? I mean, was there one thing? Was it, hey, am I ever going to get projects? Was it, oh my God, I don't know how to set up accounts receivable. Oh my God, I've got to do sales. I've got to sell my services. Was there some, what scared you the most? Uh, Well, all those things, you know, are. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's true. They are. They are scary. Um, I'd say the biggest one for me was losing the support, the immediate support around you. So the sales part of it, I, you know, I had been in sales for a while when I was with the mystery shopping company, I was responsible for bringing in my own business. So the sales part, I wasn't as worried about. You do have to make the call and get out there and be brave, but it was more the, what if I get a project and I think I know the study design that I, that this client needs for this qualitative project, but it sure would be nice to run it by someone. You know, two heads are better than one. So it's that kind of isolated feeling of, I've just got to be, I've got to be good with what I'm putting forth and recommending. And I have to be confident in myself. So a lot of it's just confidence building. Um, and then that's where, when I joined QRCA and I made some friends very quickly, 
you can call those friends and say, can I bounce an idea off of you? And I, you're shy at first. You don't want to do that. You feel like you're imposing, but then you quickly learn, yes, go to your colleagues, bounce ideas off of them. What do you think? This is what I'm thinking about recommending to this client. What do you think? It was that fear of being on my own and, and being confident in my own ability to serve my clients and then to ask for help of your colleagues who are also uh, solo or boutique, you know, firms that need your help too. Yeah, there's some really, really good stuff there. Let's switch gears for a half a second. Obviously, you decided to become president of the QRCA, the Qualitative Research Consultants. By the way, a great job. And I really give you a tremendous amount of credit for taking a leadership position and giving time and energy and creativity back to the industry. You should be 100% applauded for that. And that's, it's amazing. Oh, thank you. Did you always know, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, was that a dream to be QRCA president? No, not at all. No, it was very much sort of an organic trail journey of evolution, if you will. I mean, sometimes I still, I, I mean, I, I still pinch myself and say, how did this happen? How am I president of QRCA? But I think uh, the way it happened was with any volunteer activity in my life, whether it's, you know, community, my kid's school, whatever. I usually don't raise my hand and say, I want to lead your effort. Usually what happens is I sit back and I, and someone will approach me. And the way I think about it is if they've come to me, there's a need and they think I can fill it. They think I can do what they're asking me to do. So I very rarely say no. So that's kind of what happened with QRCA. I, I did raise my hand early on when I first joined I thought, I really want to get on a committee. So I joined the um, newsletter committee because I'm a good proofer and said, can I be a proofer? And other than that, it was just, hey, would you please be an editor? Now, would you please be editor in chief? Hey, would you like to run for the board? <laughs> and I ran once and didn't get it. And then I ran again and got it. And then I ran again. So it's four years now. So, and then how I got to president is, you know, someone asked me to be treasurer. Okay, I'll be treasurer. And then treasurer... Next year, they asked me to be VP. And then when you're VP, you're automatically president. So I guess it's, you know, QRCA saw the, the leadership in me and wanted me to lead. And so here I am and deeply love QRCA, obviously. You can't, you can't be president without having just a deep passion for what the association stands for. And it's come so far and I'm so proud of it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be president. It's been a tough year. I'm not going to lie. It was a tough year to be president with all that's going on, but I'll look back and be so grateful that this was the year. Well, let's talk about that because look, I know you took the gavel, the presidency in September of 2019. So you're going along and um, January comes, you got five months under your belt. February comes, now you've completed your six month, March comes in and then wow, oh my Lord, life changed for all of us. How hard has that been? And, and can you talk about some of the changes and some of the decisions you made navigating through that with QRCA, because I, I've been in leadership positions in a lot of organizations and, and the amount of decisions and the weight of those decisions on your shoulders can be really, really tough. Yeah, it has been tough, really has uh, no way around it. You know, in the first six months, it was exciting. We had a lot going on. We were busy. I mean, even before COVID hit, we had a lot of things on the tables and, you know, uh, we were doing some branding things for QRCA. We were putting together a learning center. Um, and then January was the annual conference in Austin where we do our own, the board meets for two days. And we go through our whole year's strategic plan and, you know, really 
intense. And that con so that was awesome. It was a week of really hard work, a very successful conference, record attendance. Great. And I'm so, so grateful that that conference happened at the end of January. <laughs> so grateful that, you know, it hit, it happened before everything hit. Um, and then when, when COVID hit, it was, um, it was a mad scramble. We were, we knew that our members, we, I'm speaking the board, um, the leaders, you know, the chairs of all of our various entities, we knew the members needed our help. And so this was definitely a team effort. I'm not going to take credit at all. I might've been kind of supervising, but it was my fellow board members and some of the leaders that just said, Hey, let's get a COVID impact survey out. Let's find out what our members need. We found out what the members needed and we very quickly, I mean, it's amazing how quickly we put some digital, you know, virtual educational content out there. I mean, I, I remember going to two people who do, who specialize in online qualitative and said, we've got to get our members and even members of the research community. We're inviting guests. We've got to get them up to speed on online qualitative methodologies ASAP. These two people, which is Jeff Walkowski and Jennifer Dale, they made it happen. And it, it turned into a like a five-day uh, series um, of content. And it was attended by, we invited all of our association partners to attend free of charge as guests. Uh, I mean, SMR members from all over the world were at these events. And it was just so rewarding, even though it was a lot of work, to see the QRCA members pull something together that quickly and make it not only pull it together quickly, but it was good. You know, it was. And then we did the same thing. We did this virtual vendor fair that our uh, special interest group leaders they came up with the idea. They said, "Okay, let's do a task force." Five of them said, "Okay, I'll be the task force," and they put on this really successful vendor fair. I mean, it just, and there's more of that. It, it just has been amazing. Even though it was a lot of work, it was amazing to witness what our members are capable of coming together, how creative, how collaborative. And now the members are like, thank you for that. You know, <laughs> thank you for reacting to what we needed at a difficult time. So uh, there's been, there's more ex examples of, of that, but to witness, I'm just so proud of our membership and to, our members and to witness what they did and what they're still doing. Um, and even now, and now um, the, uh, the current events, the anti-racism events, you know, we have a diversity, equity and, in and inclusion task force that has just been working so hard right now and so proud of them. So really it, it's, it's amazing. So I'll look back and I'll say, wow, I can't believe I, I was a president of that association of those people that did all that. One of the hardest things that I continue to say, believe in, live through is motivating volunteers. Because look, they, most of them, if not all of them, have full-time jobs. They have limited time. A lot of people say yes. A lot of people don't always follow through. How do you motivate? Is there, is there some way that you um, have found to motivate volunteers to make sure that they follow through with everything they say they're going to do? Because we all know that's challenging. Yeah, it is. And first off, I would say I'm, I'm lucky that our volunteers don't need a lot of motivating. They really are. They, if they signed up for it, then they're in it. And if they're not going to be in it, they, they say, I've got to, you know, I've got to step back. But I would say to motivate them, um, one thing that helps is to step outside that 20%. So it's kind of like the 80, 20 rule, 20% of the, 
the members do 80% of the work. That happens with any kind of volunteer organization that, I mean, PTA at your kid's school, whatever. It, it, that's always the case. You got the 20% doing 80%. So one thing I think that has helped is don't ask the 20% to volunteer, go outside of it. Ask a newer member or a shy member who seems eager and, and um, excited, but someone just needs to ask them. So it's, it's, you know, it's human nature. You, you stay within a group, you know them, you witness what a good volunteer they are. So you tend to tap them again and again and again. But the better thing to do is think outside. What about that, that member you met at the conference who seems like they could do it? And just ask them because most of the time they'll say yes. And if they don't say yes that time, they'll say it the next time or they'll eventually say yes. But they just have to be pulled in and invited in. And so I would say that's that's a motivator right there is keeping that volunteer pool fresh and new. All right. No, that's great. And that's important. So I want to end with this question. This is a very, very important question. Um, you know, if you remember FIFO, LIFO, the accounting terms when we were we were back in school, FIFO, first in, first out, LIFO, last in, first out, you really could have, I don't know, Philo, which is first in, last out, which unfortunately with the pandemic, qualitative in-person research was hit the hardest, the quickest. Yeah. I mean, the second this happened, um, every all clients were really canceling and trying to move as much as they can to digital as they could. And, and a lot of stuff got canceled. Pick a number, two or three. Uh, three. Three. Great. Give me three trends as, as QRCA president, as somebody who's been in, in qualitative research her whole career, who has a good vision of what's going on in qualitative. Give me three headlines, three trends in qualitative research that you believe are here for a very, very long time. The first trend would be not just online qualitative, because that's been around for a long time, but more specifically, I'm going to call it mobile qualitative live interviews. Okay, so those were already starting to happen more and more. But I think now that COVID has happened and there's been this forced, you've got to, everything has to go online. I think that COVID has forced um, not just qualitative researchers, I'm talking about like the brand side, you know, clients, it's forced everyone to look at these, what used to be avant-garde methods and say, no, they're they're commonplace now. You, this is your toolkit includes all of these technologies now. They were always there, but not everybody was buying them or doing them. Um, and so, an example would be: you want to observe how a consumer shops for yogurt at the grocery store. Now, there's oodles of technology out there, app app-based platforms, great research platforms out there send the consumer in with the app. It could be web-based or app-based and you record that you're, you're moderating live with them remotely. Even some of the most innovative companies have trouble accepting that methodology because it's new and different. So I would say the first trend, that was a long-winded way of saying, I think companies will be embracing all these technologies that are already there. They'll be embracing them a lot more quickly than they were in the past. A second trend is, it's possible that, you know, in-person research will never go away. I mean, there, there's always going to be an application for central location studies or, or things in person, you know, ideation, whatever. But it's possible there will be a trend towards 
moving, you know, in-person will get a, a in-person facility could get a smaller share and being replaced by online methodologies. So I, I do see research facilities, focus group facilities, getting more into the online offerings. That'd be a second trend. And third trend would be, I think that this doesn't necessarily have to do with COVID, but it's already a trend. I think it's going to strengthen is the, the colliding of the merging of qualitative and quantitative research. There's no reason that you know, there's no reason to put those in two different buckets anymore. Um, you know, research is insights or insights, whether they're quantitative or they're qualitative. You need you need both. And the technologies that are out there now um, allow you to do both. You know, an online survey that has a voice activated open end component where you can capture the color commentary about why they rated something a certain way. The technology is allowing us to just simply gather insights, whether quantitative or qualitative. Wow, I, I think you're spot on, Kelly. Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Merrill Zubro, and have a great day. Thank you.